Hey, Elizabeth here. We've got a great episode ahead for you. We're going to cover best books of the year. We each bring our favorite, most most memorable two to three books that we read this year. And I'm going to tell you what I heard when the really all of the books get thrown together in a stack. What really sticks out is the books that speak to you as a human and your experience and resonate with you on a personal level. So you're going to get to hear books from the three of us that really met us where we are in our humanity and pushed us to accept that, but then lean into more. I will say this is going to be a great episode and I cannot wait to hear your best books of the year. Welcome to Book Fair. We help thoughtful women find wholesome, life-affirming books for themselves and their families. Are you tired of picking up the latest new release and finding it full of junk you don't want in your life? You are in the right place. This show shares curated content and we do it together within a fun, book-loving community. So pull up a chair at the table and join the feast. Hey, welcome book fair readers. I have got a few little things to tell you guys. You're not going to even believe this. We're wrapping up a great year here on the book fair podcast. And I want to tell you new years bring new things and there are some new things coming to you as our listeners. We We'll be going back to weekly episodes in January. I'll pause Woo-hoo! for you to applaud. Yay! So you can set your clock for every Tuesday morning, jump out of bed, and just turn us on. We will be there with all the things you love every week again. And another little fun fact is that we've enjoyed our holiday drawings that we've done through this giving season, and we just decided let's just turn up the heat a little bit. We're going to draw every week for a mug for anybody who goes in our drawing. Now, how do you go in our drawing? Oh, that's easy, guys. You just pop onto your Apple Podcast app, leave us a five-star review, and you will go into our drawing, and maybe you'll get to have our mug on your mug. I can't stop (laughs) saying that now. It's too funny. (laughs) We'll send you a mug. (laughs) And you know, mugs are fun. We got to thinking... We probably need some more merch. We're thinking about that. Merch is coming to you soon. If you have some ideas about what you'd like, send us a little message. We're we're cooking some stuff up in the book fair kitchen right now. (laughs) And for our Christmas giveaway, we put all the names in a big magic Santa hat and drew out that foxy lady who I can only assume... I can only assume I know that foxy lady to be Dina Fox. Now, I could be wrong. So that foxy lady, you need to send us a message and claim your mug, your book fair mug, and I'll mail mail it to you. You can message me privately or you could message the book fair group. Either way, we're going to get you taken care of and send you a mug. Thank you so much for your kind rating. Thank you. Okay, welcome to the final episode of 2023. All right, I got to ask you guys. Is this, are you sad 2023 is over or are we happy 2023 is over? (laughs) (laughs) It was a good year for me, but I am not sad it's over, but I'm not happy either. I am feeling like peacefully zen about it. Like, good job, 2023. You grew us. (laughs) We did some stuff. That stuff's over. Let's do some new stuff. (laughs) 
<laughs> what about y'all? I'm good with it. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, that was weird. I don't know how to reply. <laughs> Well, I am happy to see the end of it. I I have to say it is it has been a little bit of a uh, rough fall. So I am you know I'm grateful for what has passed, but I am I'm pretty excited to turn over a new calendar. In the rearview mirror for you, friend. Yep. Shiny new year coming your way. That's right. <laughs> Let's do it. So one last reflection on the year. We're going to talk about the best books we read this year. Woo woo. And- Oh, I'm so excited about this one. Now, I want to say we're not choosing any book club picks that we've done on the episode, on the podcast. And we're not choosing books we've already talked about a lot. So we're going to do round robin. I'm going first. I'm going to start with my boy, G.K. Chesterton, (laughs) the man who was Thursday. (laughs) Now, I have mentioned this on episode 62 where we talked about thrillers. But looking back, I only mentioned it briefly, and looking back over the year, this was one that impacted me the most. Wow. (laughs) That's big. Yeah. So Gabriel Syme is a new policeman and is tasked with infiltrating an anarchist group in order to stop a bombing. The group's seven leaders are named for the seven days of the week, and Syme makes it just in time undercover to join in the meeting where they're replacing... The Man Who Was Thursday. Ah. (laughs) Mm. So it starts out pretty expected, what you would expect maybe a detective or a mystery to be like, with a little Lord Peter Wimsley or even Bertie Wooster flavor added in. For example, with quotes such as this, always be comic in a tragedy. What the deuce else can you do? (laughs) And also, your offer, he said, is far too idiotic to be declined. Perfect. 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 I'm going to say that. That's the best thing I've ever heard. Okay, one more since you liked those. If you take your head home and boil it for a turnip, it might be useful. I can't say, but it might. That's a real good cut down. <laughs> little little uh, Shakespearean insult type. Yes, yes. <laughs> I love it. So you think you kind of know how this is going to go. Well, hold on to your britches, folks, because Chesterton puts you on a roller coaster, a disorienting roller coaster ride through the looking glass that becomes a metaphor and allegory for modernity and where the characters are really the ideas he presents. Mm. It is like C.S. Lewis and Robin Williams have a baby. What? And this book is the result. <laughs> It is like the Piper, the Gates of Dawn from Wind in the Willows. It is brilliant. It defies genre, mystery, philosophy, comedy, thriller, fantasy, political commentary. And I have one quote that exemplifies this. Shall I tell you the secret of the whole world? It is that we have only known the back of the world. We see everything from behind, and it looks brutal. That is not a tree, but the back of a tree. That is not a cloud, but the back of a cloud. Cannot you see that everything is stooping and hiding a face? If we could only get round in front. Mm-hmm. This kind of gets to his theme of what he's doing in this book. So just know 
You're going to be confused and disoriented a bit, and that's on purpose. You're selling it good for me, Amanda. Wonderful. Well, good. I I hope to just even uh, come close to doing a little small bit of doing it justice. Okay. So my, these are not in order. These are at random. Three, shaken up. I'm going to start with Lonesome Dove. I read it at the very beginning of the year because our book club read it a while back and I didn't read it with them then and had heard a few great things about it. And then I just continue, continue in all kinds of book groups just here. And I've heard it compared with other books that I like. So I thought, hey, let's just jump in there. Well, I, these characters stayed with me all year. It is such a great story. And I I kept thinking about, well, why? I have never read Westerns before. Is it just that I'm a sudden closet Western fan? I don't (laughs) think that's it. I mean, I don't think that's it. But I mean, could be. I think women can like Westerns too. That's not a man's genre. But the more I've thought about it, I realized that this is a long story that deals with characters that have deep internal conflict. And they're quiet about it. With Mm. their mouth, their actions are showing. And Larry McMurdy does a wonderful job saying through their internal monologue and through the actions that you witness between the interactions you witness, painting picture of men who in our world today, this kind of masculinity is just frowned on. Our eyes are rolled at it. Oh, how caveman-esque they were. But these, these are the men... It got us where we are today. We would not be where we are today without men like this. And some of you might read this book and say, you know, I had a granddad like this. I had a dad like this. He would give you the shirt off his back, but he might not have been good at telling you what you meant to him. He would quietly soldier through blackened thumbs and cut open this, that, or another, and I didn't get to eat today, and the job got done. And On the one hand, we know that today we need to stop and pause for ourselves a little more. And it's good that we've evolved enough to know some of those things. But there is value in reading a story of like this, where these men were not without feeling, but they they showed it differently. And I think that's what really stuck with me. My dad is a lot like that. I never doubted. I never doubted that my dad would do anything for us. But he was a quieter man. This is a great, great story. Of people like that. And, you know, at the end, your heart is either warmed or you're deeply frustrated about the way that plays out. It's a book that at the end you go, are you serious? It was good, but it was not what you wanted, but it was good. It's not what you would have done. And I think that is why it stayed with me. So I found out after I'd read the book totally, it's a series. Did y'all know that? Is everybody knew that but me? No, I didn't know. Well, it's a series. And when I went to Houston this year, I went to a cute little used bookstore. And what should you buy in Houston but a Western? And I bought the first one. And so I've started reading it. Now, that may sound like no big deal, but I do not read series very often because I feel like the the characters become trite to me when I'm revisiting them again and again. I just need to long for them forever, but not visit them again. But I really decided, (laughs) is that not the most me statement? I I had a I had a coughing fit. I was laughing so hard. I just need to long for them forever. I feel like if I start reading too much of these characters, that you're gonna have developed them into tropes and it's gonna minimize them in my eyes. But Mm -hmm. I loved that book so much that I decided to go back. And so Lonesome Dove, they're old men, but 
dead men walking. They are young men just entering the ranger. And I am like, just weepy at, oh, they were fearful one time, but they didn't tell. They were dumb at one time. They did make terrible decisions, but wow, they were really lucky to get to where they were. And I'm loving it. I am going to finish that book before the year's over. It's a big decision for me to read a, a sequel. So I'm I'm not sure. I won't say, will I continue the whole sequel? But I did start Dead Men Walking because Lonesome Dove just touched me so much. Oh, I love that. That's great. And you really do love an epic story. So I do. Not surprised that you loved that one. And I think this is a great example why we do genre episodes because the best in those genres that are good or even great books, it's universal. Yeah. Yeah. It's not about the genre. Well, Elizabeth, since you love an epic story, I was thinking about you the whole time I was revisiting this one because you have got to put this one on your list. I mentioned it um, in our summer preview episode this year as a new release that I had not read at the time. It is called The Covenant of Water by Abraham Verghese. Everybody is texting me about that book. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yes. It really must have my name all over it. Yeah, for anyone okay, tell that me. loves an epic, <laughs> this book spans from 1900 to 1977 in Kerala, India. I'm in. So <laughs> it is it is in the southern part of India. It is in a takes place in a little community. They call themselves the St. Thomas Christians. They trace their roots back, they believe back to when um the tradition that St. Thomas the Apostle went to India. And there is this little community that has stayed Christian ever since. So this story starts at the turn of the century with a young girl. She has lost her father. She and her mother are living in poverty. They don't know what they're going to do. And a marriage is arranged for her. The family steps in to arrange this marriage. She's only 12. And she is basically packed up to go live with this man whose wife has died. He's a widower. He's older than she is. And he has a small son who's about five. And so she immediately becomes the caretaker of this young boy and has to learn all the things, has to learn how to keep house by yourself and make food and all these things. But I will tell you, lest you be afraid that this is like an arranged marriage gone wrong story, it is not. It is a beautiful, like he waits for her to grow up and love him kind of story. And Aww. it's it's really, really lovely. So the beginning of the book goes back and forth between this woman and a surgeon in Scotland. So Abraham Verkey's the author. He is a surgeon and a doctor in his own right. And so he does not write a book very often. His last book, Cutting for Stone, which was a bestseller for two years, and I cannot wait to read, was hailed as a masterpiece in its own right. But it's taken him 10 more years to write another book. So because he keeps up a medical practice, you know, he he doesn't just write all the time. So he always features medical professionals and surgeons and things about medicine, philosophy of medicine in his novels. So this second storyline is of a surgeon in Scotland. And one of the things that is fascinating about this book is that he kind of um, compares the caste system in India to the way the class system is playing out in Scotland at the time. So you're kind of seeing both of those things. It's super interesting. And then, I mean, the book is long. It's like 650, 700 pages long. And it's three generations. And this little child bride becomes the matriarch of a family. And 
This is just a book about exploring another culture, about faith, about family, about tragedy and forgiveness and redemption and the things people pray for that might not come to pass for a couple of generations. It is so beautiful. I was talking to a friend about this and she just looked at me and she said, nothing is wasted. And it is so true. Like this is a long book and you will get to the end and you will feel like every sentence was there for a reason and everything comes back around. It is the most beautiful story. It would make a wonderful book club pick. So many things to talk about. I I will remember this book forever. It it is it is going to go on like an all-time kind of favorites list. So, wow. The next time you feel like an epic story that is going to pull you in and take you away to another place, it is so beautiful, The Covenant of Water. High praise. Well, I put it on hold while you were talking. Because... <laughs> <laughs> you will love it. Hmm. Okay, my second book. As a parent, how do I train my children's character? Why are so many these days seemingly not tethered to truth and reality? Well, I bring to you Tending the Heart of Virtue, How Classic Stories Awaken a Child's Moral Imagination by Vegan Gorian. And I mentioned this on our episode 80, Top Parenting Books. And this book is a book I have been looking for for a long time. In Awakening So the first chapter is Awakening the Moral Imagination, where he is explaining terms. He's telling you why he's written this book. And then each chapter afterwards is about a common theme in literature viewed through examples from classic children's literature. For example, one chapter is called Love and Immortality in The Velveteen Rabbit and the Little Mermaid. Hmm. Another one is Evil and Redemption in The Snow Queen and The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. A new edition has just come out this year. I don't have that one. I have the first edition, but the second edition is available on Hoopla. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. So I have a couple quotes here. The Greek word for character literally means an impression. Moral character is an impression stamped upon the self. I think that's a great definition for it. Mm. Mm-hmm. So then he talks about how is moral character formed? It's by the moral imagination. And I got to tell you, it, within the first page of the first chapter, he quotes Flannery O'Connor and my boy Chesterton. <laughs> so I'm, I'm loving it. You were in. You're among yeah, friends. In. <laughs> so here's one of Chesterton's quotes. Vegan says, Chesterton observes that the genre of fairy tales sparks a special way of seeing that is indispensable to morality. Chesterton writes, I am concerned with a certain way of looking at life, which was created in me by the fairy tales, but has since been meekly ratified by mere facts. Vegan says, I am calling this way of looking at life the moral imagination. Chesterton surely suggests what the moral imagination is when he remarks, we can say why we take liberty from a man who takes liberties, but we cannot say why an egg can turn into a chicken any more than We can say why a bear could turn into a fairy prince. As ideas, the egg and the chicken are further from each other than the bear and the prince. For no egg itself suggests a chicken, whereas some princes do suggest bears. (laughs) And one more. The great fairy tales and children's fantasy stories attractively depict character and virtue. 
In these stories, the virtues glimmer as if in a looking glass, and wickedness and deception are unmasked of their pretensions to goodness and truth. The stories make us face the unvarnished truth about ourselves and compel us to consider what kind of people we want to be. Hmm. This makes me think, what a great book for a baby shower gift. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. I mean, talk about relevance. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and I think this is a, a huge factor in why so many don't have what I'm calling reality literacy. I think we've had generations of education that has been stripped of this kind of education, of this kind of training. And I think mm. we're seeing the results of that. Interesting. So yeah, I think baby shower gift, all parents should read this, grandparents, mm-hmm. and even just every person who wants to be a good reader would greatly benefit because it shows you how to read good books. Mm. Love that. Okay, so there are books along the way that are famous and everyone loves. And I have, I don't want to say poo-pooed, but mm, probably that's what I've done. (laughs) Where I would just think, that's a really girly book. And I I am a girl. And I mean, I'm a hairdresser. I spend my day with women. but, (laughs) But I am not... I'm not trying to make a therapy lesson out of this, but there are just (laughs) things that are too feminine that just don't, I don't think they're going to interest me. And one of those was Anna Green Gables, and I read it last year because this podcast and talking about books with you ladies has helped me just push into try it anyway. It is a great work. If, if If it is widely wonderful to so many, you have an opinion on it, even if you hate it, that's okay. So this year... I read Little Women. Can y'all believe I just never really felt that motivated to read it? Like, oh yeah, everybody loves it. It's probably silly. I didn't have (laughs) sisters. (laughs) I didn't have sisters. I'm probably not going to like get all that. It's the best. (laughs) I don't need to say too much about it because obviously everybody in the world knew but me. But this is a book that you just learn throughout how to be a person and how to be a good person and that your experiences are not for you to be lonely in because everyone endures hardship. Everyone is faced to choose someone over themselves. When you can see a story where that is is walked through and you see what a good end it is when you choose someone above yourself. What a good end it is to have a mom that speaks wisdom, but holds back enough to let her children make some mistakes. I mean, I as a mom with one out of the house and one little learned so much in this book about the way I want to speak to my children. No wonder Marmy is a hero in everyone's eyes. But You know, also, why did I, I mean, if I had only known about Joe, like, I would not have thought she was silly and too girly. It just goes to show that sometimes you got to just read the book. And it's okay if you hate it, but you might not hate it. I have never thought there would be value in that. People talk about, oh, I reread this book every year at Christmas or Halloween or whatever, seasonal rereading. I've always thought every year. I could see rereading Little Women every Christmas. I could see that. I'm not saying I will, but I get that sentiment for the first time because there is warmth of lesson It doesn't soak in totally the first time. You have to revisit it and revisit it. And the idea that a perfect match might not be a perfect match because there's no ability to grow and be pushed. I really wrestled with that for a while, but then I sat there and looked in my own life. I had that exact same story. Mm-hmm. And so it was such a heartwarming bit to go, no, I already know that's true. So I loved this book 
so much. It made me wish I had a pastel of sisters. I guarantee you my brother and I were never acting out plays. But I always hear sisters doing that. My nieces are always putting on a show. And I'm like, guys, really? Now I'm like, yes, you should put on a show. I'm a better aunt even because of reading this book and my sweet little niece was reading it at the same time and that was the final push for me to hurry up and read it because I was like I will meet you in it she was reading it and I thought I'm gonna jump in and get it with you and I'm so so glad I did I'm so (laughs) sad that I thought it was silly for so many years it was not silly oh that is so Um, wonderful it's so funny to hear you talk about it coming to it as a 40-year-old woman, not as a, a kid. book that I, it was like formative to me growing up. And it's just always been part of my internal landscape. This, this it picture. Might, I might would be a better por- person if I'd read it. <laughs> <laughs> that could be the problem. <laughs> but you know, we all have things, we all have things that we had and no one can have everything, but it's just really fun to hear you talk about it. And it is one of those that stands the test of time. And I've reread it recently and it's just, it's just wonderful. It's just wonderful every time. Well, and I put it on my, I do want to say this. I put it on my list this year, one, because it was so wonderful, but two, because of the interactions and ideas that I'd had about it before. Like if you are out there and there's a book that you have just thought that's not for me, but it keeps coming up, just try it. It might surprise you. I love when I'm wrong. I mean, it took me a long time to get to there in life, but I love when I'm wrong now because that means something's opened up to me. Oh, I love that. Yeah. So well said. Okay. My second and last book I'm really going to talk about is called Wintering, The Power of Rest and Retreat in Difficult Times. So I don't know. I can't remember if we've talked about this, if y'all do a word of the year. Do either one of you do a word of the year? We have talked about it before. Sometimes I do. Uh, I've done it for like the last five years. And this year, my word was wintering. And I was actually a little bit mad about it when I first really felt called to this word. Um, I was like, God, I do not want this to be my word for this year. I do not want this to be a year of rest and retreat. But it was my word for the year and it has turned out to be remarkably accurate. And so I found this book. I I did not. I found this book after I felt called to this word. So I had this word. I was like, okay, what am I going to do? And then I saw this book by Catherine May. And it is just a lovely look at the practice of wintering times in our life when we need to slow down, we need to take time to rest, retreat. I'm going to read a quote here. I'm pretty sure this is from the introduction of the book. Everybody winters at one time or another. Some winter over and over again. Wintering is a season in the cold. It is a fallow period in life when you're cut off from the world, feeling rejected, sidelined, blocked from progress, or cast into the role of an outsider. Yet, it's also inevitable. We like to imagine that it's possible for life to be one eternal summer and that we have uniquely failed to achieve that for ourselves. But life's not like that. Emotionally, we're prone to stifling summers and low, dark winters, to sudden drops in temperature, to light and shade. That is beautiful. beautiful. So she, every chapter, she talks about kind of another aspect of wintering, either mirroring it to the natural world and animals that winter or hibernate or traditions 
um, like religious ritual traditions or different traditions of cultures where they have wintering traditions. And she kind of makes a little a little point in every chapter. And whenever it's, you know, nonfiction, <laughs> I always feel the need to say I don't agree with everything with this author's perspective, <laughs> but it's really, really lovely book. And if you feel like you may be in a time where any of those things resonated with you, where you feel like you're needing extra rest, where you are in grief, where you feel like it's just time to take a back seat, where some things are falling apart, and sometimes you just have to sit and let them fall apart and wait to see what God is going to do next. If any of those things resonate with you, this book, little book, it's not super long. It's an easy read. Be a great book to grab from your library or pick up this new year and Give yourself permission to winter. That is really, truly lovely. And I have had seasons like that. And I think giving it a name, there's power and permission to be in that then. Yes. I've yeah. never heard it referred to that way, but I in, I know exactly what you're referring to now, just that quickly. Yeah. And just letting your mind know, no, stop and do it. Don't fight it would be so beneficial. Yes. Yes. The permission piece is so huge. When she said, you know, we feel like we should have one eternal summer. I feel like that's kind of American culture. America. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Like just, we're just go. We just always go, 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 go. Upward. Yeah. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps. And that is just not life. Like there are just like the seasons Mm -hmm. of the calendar. There are seasons. There are seasons to go, go, go and to grow Mm -hmm. and to harvest and to do. And then there's the fall and then there's the winter and then the spring slowly comes again. Like it really, it really has been a new perspective for me. I think creation screams ebb and flow and Mm -hmm. cycles. And I think embracing that in our lives helps us to be more human. Yes. That's lovely. And at peace with us not being the one in total power. Which is just true. Mm, Right? Good point. Okay, our final book on our list for this episode is a book I have mentioned before. Something Wicked This Way Comes by Ray Bradbury. I cannot tell you, and even looking back on it again for this episode, it is deeper every time I even just think about it. So I've mentioned this in episode 74, Reading Goals Are Made to Be Blown Up. And this was in my category of our reading challenge, uh, read a book recommended by someone you love. So shout out to Betsy. Thank you for recommending this to me. And I've also mentioned it in our thrillers episode number 62. Oh, and we had a Ray Bradbury episode Mm -hmm. with Heather Wells. That's episode 66. So Will Holloway and James Nightshade are friends and are both about to turn 14. They live in a small, quiet town named Greentown. And a lightning rod salesman comes to town and warns the boys that a storm is coming. A carnival comes to town the next day, which excites the boys, but Will's father, Charles, has a bad feeling about it. Da-da-da! So it is super atmospheric. It is mysterious. It is creepy. It is thrilling and scary and suspenseful. But the themes in this book are so strong and beautiful. (laughs) There's good versus evil. There's regret. There's temptation. One of the quotes I pulled is, good to evil seems evil. And that is really woven throughout this. (laughs) Yeah. He talks about being a hero and remaining human in the face of evil and fear. So the title... Where it comes from really reflects this. It comes from Macbeth, the three witches, you know, the ones that say bubble, bubble, boil in trouble. 
So Macbeth is at a point where he can't stand his guilt and fear anymore. So he decides to seek the witches out to find out what's going on. And they know he's coming. And as they see him approach, the second witch tells her sisters, by the pricking of my thumbs, something wicked this way comes. So now Macbeth is not a person. He's a thing. Mm. And that's what I'm going to say about that because you have to read the book, but you will see the connection. And at one point, Will says, Dad, are you a good person? And Charles says, to you and your mother, yes, I try. But no man's a hero to himself. I've lived with me a lifetime, Will. I know everything worth knowing about myself. And adding it all up, mm, the sum, as they come and go, I mostly sit very still and tight. And yes, I'm all right. And then later, he says, no man's a hero to himself. So good. (laughs) So this book has one of my favorite heroes and villains Hmm. I've ever read. They're very clear. There is real evil. You're not parsing his background to see why he's like this. He is evil. And there is real sacrifice and virtue. How um, how old would you have to be to read this? Would this be a teenage-appropriate book? I should think so. There are some uses of the Lord's name in vain in this one, but I don't remember anything else. It's just scary. And I have recommended it to Bryce to read. So he's, a, he's in high school. He is so good at atmosphere. Oh, yeah. I mean, the entire the entire feeling of the room you sit in is suddenly actually the book. I mean, you are sitting in there. You feel the temperature. You see the the lights. It, it, the whole thing is so real. And and they're short books. All of his books are fairly short. Yeah, but they encompass you. He just he grabs you and shoots you into this location, and you are there. You like you are there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's such so a gift. I cannot recommend this book enough. Really about being human, mm. and if you go down a path of temptation and giving into fear, how you are depriving yourself of your humanity. So good. Well, my last one, also Ray Bradbury. Can you even believe it? <laughs> oh, that's so funny. And I don't have to say too much about it because we did, Heather Wells did come on and talk about Dandelion Wine, but I had not read it. But I, usually when we hear things that we I want to read, I will put it at, you know, next on my stack or maybe just on my list. But I literally stopped what I was reading and 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 started that on the way home from that interview with her because wow. because her reading the passage about the old lady dying, the grandmother dying was so powerful. And just what we've been talking about, so atmospheric. And you know what I wanted to say about him was what we've already essentially said about how atmospheric. I mean, there is a glow of an amber glow of C9 Christmas lights and riding bikes with no helmets and kids out exploring the neighborhood and getting into mischief that doesn't even come up at dinnertime conversation because like eh, all in a day and hey, we lived <laughs> through it. And I figured out life another step today. I I had a thought that Dandelion Wine covers all the things that the Great Conversation talks about in individual little nuggets mm-hmm. that man continues to wrestle with all the same things. And Dandelion Wine covers every bit of that. It covers grief. It covers birth. It covers longing. It covers fear. It covers identity. And those are all the things that man continually wonders about in it. Short little interconnected stories, again, in Greentown. He addresses the conversations that are the oldest conversations there are. I mean, it's not new for us today, but this is a fairly modern, you know, what is it, 60s, 50s? Yeah. 
So it's a little leave it to beaver with a with a shade of but there's a real world here. And he's a master. He's he's I will read everything he writes. I, I yeah. will I will move through it all. I'm there too, because Fahrenheit 451, which we talk about in our dystopian episode. See, I wrote that down. That's episode 79. Yeah. Is like a heart book mm-hmm. <laughs> for me. And something this way comes, I just I just feel the same way about it. Well. Too. So I really get what you're saying. What a great year we had, y'all. Yes. This was, gr- yeah, a great, great list. Great reading. We here. have here. <laughs> And this is one of my favorite things about the reading life. I love the end of the year when everyone posts their favorite reads, the people Mm -hmm. that, you know, I know that I follow that are great readers. And I always love to see what pops up because you can be enthusiastic about something at the time and enjoy it. And that's valid. But it doesn't stick. Yeah, like what really stuck out to you mm-hmm. after the whole year of reading yeah. is done. So I really cannot wait to see this discussion post in the group. I know this is, you know, a crazy time with the holidays and, you know, everyone's kind of goes into the black hole of Christmas and New Year's. But I really hope you will hop onto the Facebook group and no matter when you're listening to this episode and share with us one, two, three, whatever you want of your favorite books of 2023. Let us see them as we are then putting our list together for next year and starting to think about what we want to read in 2024. Mm-hmm. I really want to see what y'all have have valued and enjoyed. Yes, I Same. cannot wait to see what you guys have been thinking about and have been touching you and changing you. So thank you again for all of the five-star reviews. Keep them coming. You are going to want to have done your five-star review. And be ready to listen to our first episode of 2024. Even if you're behind, skip what you haven't heard and come back to that. And listen, you're going to want to be in on the loop for this. So fun. I'm so excited. (laughs) And until next time, I'm Trisha. I'm Amanda. I'm Elizabeth. And happy year-ending reading. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this, subscribe to Book Fair Podcast. Join our private Facebook group. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Or email us at chat at bookfairpodcast.com. And you can help us continue to grow. Share an episode with a friend. Mention us on social media. And leave a review in your podcast app. We'll see you next Tuesday.